that's in your word, uh, Lord, and that you love us so much that you, that you show us how to live a godly life and, Lord, show us how to live for you, um, Lord, to be able to be with you one day. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we take the words that are in the Scripture um, completely to heart, that we take it serious, uh, Lord, and that we just choose to obey so that we can live uh, a life that's pleasing and holy and honorable to you. Yes. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll read again. I know we're kind of, it seems like we're kind of hung up on this particular passage, but I think there's something in here. There were some questions that came up last week that I really wanted to answer more in depth, but we were running out of time. So this week I'm going to take a little more time to address those specific, that specific question. First um, Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8. We'll read through. Yeah. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So last week there was a, there was a question that came up as we were discussing this particular passage. And that question was, is it my spouse's responsibility to help me with temptation? Because part of the, the topic of discussion in this passage is sexual immorality. And it has to do with living a holy life and not being involved in, uh, you know, fornication and those types of things. So um, I don't think it was ironic um, that the message last week was about living a victorious life over sin. Um, so if you remember a little bit about the message last Sunday, how do we live victorious? What's that? Okay. Concentrating on him. So when I'm faced with temptation, is that an easy thing to do? <laughs> Not by yourself? No, the answer is pretty much no. Uh, it's, it's a practice. It's something that we have to train ourselves to do before the temptation arrives. So uh, last week, uh, Jim was in John chapter 3, or 1 John, excuse me. If you want to turn there just for a second. First John, chapter 3. Actually, I'm sorry, I said chapter 3, but it, um, if you back up to chap chapter 2, in verse 3, he says, we, have come, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. 
And that's, that seems pretty straightforward, right? It's pretty easy to understand. Um, back up to verse 1. Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Okay, and it was said last week in the message, if I live in Christ, and in Christ there is no sin, there is no darkness at all, can I live in Christ and be sinless even when there's a very strong and powerful temptation in front of me? Is it possible? So if I live in Christ, and John tells us in the Gospel of John, in him there is no darkness, there is no sin. If I am in him, can I live in him and live victorious over the temptation that's in front of me, no matter how strong or how powerful it is? So yes, you can live that way. So when we're talking about sexual immorality, the question came up last week, is it my spouse's responsibility to help me with this? To that answer, the short answer to that is, yeah, the scripture says if your spouse is a Christian, uh, the way you love one another, you help one another with that, that scenario. However, what does a single person do? What did Paul do? A young person, a teenager, what do they do with those things how do they learn how to deal with that before? Because the command is given to everybody of vo to stay away from sexual immorality, right? And we have this conversation because there are times where Christian parents teach them. Right. So, so about the well, I'm basing it on the people in this room. So Everyone in here, do you, is everybody a Christian? Yes? Yeah. If you're a Christian, okay, that's just, this is for you. Exactly. So what I had put down in here is if it's a situation, in, like if I apply it to myself, yes? Je me and Jesus. Yeah, so me and people, me and my wife, me and my children, that's a horizontal relationship with everybody in here. Vertical relationship is Christ. So that has to be, so I, I asked somebody recently um, who was having a difficult time with child, with one of their children. And, and there was an issue even within the church that the, the church was ready to exercise church discipline on the child. And I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, so you're going to tell this child, sorry, son or daughter, we're going to, to church to serve and, and praise and learn about the Jesus Christ who loves everyone and gave his life to save sinners, but you can't come because you're not good enough. And they went, oh, yeah, that does sound pretty, uh, that sounds pretty harsh. That sounds pretty exclusive. It sounds like Jesus plays favorites. I said, what needs to be understood is Jesus died for you too. When you go to do something in the building, I'm going to go with you so that nobody can lie about you. I care about you so much that I'm going to put down whatever it is that I'm doing to make sure that you are trained and that nobody can say anything bad about you. Now that child says, okay, I get to come. I get to be with you guys. I get to be with the family. I get to, you know, to participate. 
even though I'm a bad child or a bad, you know, they, they think badly of themselves already. And so <coughs> I'm looking at that, and sometimes that happens between the husband and wife. That happens sometimes in, in grown-ups as much as it does with kids. And so, you know, when, uh, if, if the situation is, is I don't feel like my wife has given me enough affection, last week I mentioned that there's always a self-examination. I have to ask myself, does my wife see me leading her in a godly way every day? If the answer is no, then I can't look at her and blame her for what she's not doing that I think she should. And I can't do that anyway because God's Word teaches me to be forgiving even if somebody wrongs me anyway. And we'll look at a verse that talks a little bit about that. Uh, in Peter, uh, I believe it's, yeah, second, first Peter, second Peter. Exactly, so... Exactly. So, and this is just rhetorical to you men. How many of you have went to your wives and said, and just laid it on the table and says, I'm going to sit here and keep my mouth shut while you answer this question until you're completely finished. What can I do to be a better husband? Okay. Ask yourself that question. And then when she starts speaking, you don't go, but, 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 hold on, but... <laughs> What she's telling you is sometimes it's, it's just let me know that you're going to be there to listen to me when I need somebody to talk to. Sometimes that's all it is. And, some, and I'm, I'm preaching to Dave Mannion at the same time here. Um, you know, and <laughs> okay, so we've got two people right here. So now I'm going to ask a rhetorical question to the women. How many of you have somebody, another woman in the church that you feel that comfortable that you can go to that is a Titus 2 friend that you can go to? Or how many of you have just kind of stepped back and going, I don't feel comfortable talking about my husband with anybody else? So I, I just put that on the table to encourage you that during, and we kind of started this and it kind of got sidetracked, um, but during the women's Bible studies and things like that, to grab somebody that you can trust and say, hey, can I talk to you? Can I ask you some questions um, about, did, did you and your, your husband, do you have these kind of struggles? How do you deal with that? Because I know that there's sometimes we get busy and we get into our routine, our daily routine, and, and oh, they're probably busy too, and I don't want to take them away from what they're doing. The reality is this, that when Christ comes and takes us out of this earth, he's not going to care about the things that we were busy doing. He's going to care about the investments that we make in each other's lives. And so I'm talking to myself as much as I am to everybody in the room. But again, my self-examination, does my wife see me living pure and purifying myself with the word to present myself holy and honorable to God? Um, so again, I'm, I'm, you know, talking to the guys with this. First um, John chapter two, verse one. He he said, "My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you do not sin." So in the Psalms, I forget where it's at. David writes, "I hide God's word in my heart. Why? So that I don't sin against you." 
And so when you look at the passages in Scripture in the New Testament, these are just the ones that I came up in an hour's time that talk about abstaining from sexual immorality or living a pure, holy life. Okay, so I just sat down, I just started going through, and it doesn't say, none of them said, if my spouse isn't in agreement with me, I have the freedom to indulge in some other, some other form of, of pleasure. It's always an address of when you purify yourself, like I think what you said, my focus is here, the vertical relationship. If I love Christ, I sacrifice my own desires, my own pleasures, and it's not always easy. So um, I wanted to, wanted to hit some of those verses this morning. So 1 Corinthians, we talked about 1 Corinthians 5 last week. Uh, or no, we talked about 1 Corinthians 6. But if we go back to 1 Corinthians 5, 1. And there's a, there's a, there's a reason why in the Scripture... Um, that it's written that when we get involved in a sexual sin, um, we sin against our own body. Not only that, and we'll, we'll see this in First Thessalonians as well, that when we sin in a sexual nature, it always involves somebody else. It always involves elevating myself above another person. Yes? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a that's a Right. Right, and the way he way he calls it is he says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. He doesn't say it's his mother, but it says it's his father's wife. So we don't know if it was actually his mom or if it was a stepmom or if he had multiple wives, and you know it was a, a situation like that. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Um, but what he is dealing with is, um, to your question, I always go back to the, to the question, are these people that claim to know Christ? Are they, do they claim to worship the Almighty God? Do they, do they recognize Jesus as God? If the answer is no, that part has to be addressed first. And that's what's hard sometimes for us to understand is, is we want to take and apply the Bible blanketly to everyone when God says they need to hear the message about Christ first then repent and repentance then from that day forward brings a change of how they make decisions so right Right. 
Right. It changes whether you're a believer or you say that you're a believer. It's you. Right. So this verse here, he just says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and it's a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man was, is sleeping with his father's wife. And so I just wanted to point out, before we go to chapter 6, I think we read some of chapter 6 last week, and we read 9 and 10. He says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor do not be deceived, Neither the sexually immoral, yeah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Uh, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, uh, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanderers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So in other words, if you are living in a lifestyle, whether it's hidden or whether it's open, because I, I would submit to you that probably most people, men, or, men and women alike, who are in churches that struggle with this, feel like they struggle with it alone. They feel like they have to hide it. And the reality is, is that's exactly who this passage is talking to. So I don't remember who it was, but I think somebody mentioned that you have to have people around you. Okay? Um, I, I've said this before, that I have people that I, I send a text message to if I'm having a bad day, you know, if I'm struggling with something. And, it don't, and there's no reason, rhyme or reason for it sometimes. Um, and and they, they text me when they're having a struggle. And the reason why isn't to say, oh, I'm just a weak guy and I, I'm failing again today. The reason why is because I want to say, Lord, I want to love you, and I'm weak today. And I want to make sure that I don't do anything to disqualify me from serving you today. And so setting that up doesn't eliminate the temptation. It provides the way out. Because when I'm faced with a temptation, I'm not, I can't always cognitively think of the Scripture that's going to lead me out of it. So I send a message to somebody who can. Remind, Peter says, I'm going to continue as long as I live in this tent. And Paul said it too. As long as I live on this earth, I want to continue to remind you so that when I'm gone, you still hear those words. He says, even when I die, I want the words of truth that he has spoken to be a constant reminder to us. And so... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. So So, so you, you bring up a very important point. So, no, and, and, and I think you're saying what most people have thought at some point or another in their, in their walk with the Lord. And so, 
there are times with my wife, if uh, in the past, if I, w- if I had a decision to make and I knew God wanted this and my wife wanted something different, I would be looking at the situation and go, if I do what God says, it's going to hurt my relationship with her. And what I didn't acknowledge then is if I followed what I knew she wanted and went against what God said, that there would be a wedge between my relationship with God. And so sometimes that's going to happen. So in your case, what you're talking about here is I don't want anybody to know because I'm more concerned about what they think than what he thinks. So it goes back to that vertical relationship. So there is a place where uh, uh, one who says they want to follow Christ, where they fall to their knees and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. What do I do here? What do I do here? What do I do here? He sends a godly man to catch you in the act. And then you repent. Or you leave, or you just walk away. And and you're lost. And so that's what he's talking about in here, is if you continue in that immorality you can't get out of it yourself. You're not designed to walk alone in it. You're designed to walk side by side with another man. Hey, have you ever struggled with this? Yes, I have. What do I do? And that's, and that's the way that the body of believers is supposed to work. You were going to say something else? Yeah, I think- Right. That God cannot resolve. Right. There is no depth of sin. There is no type of sin. There is. Um, and then the, the second point with that is that repentance is the only way out. So I've counseled multiple men, sometimes with their wives, um, struggling with pornography as an example. And I mm-hmm. would Right. But then I would ask the question, like, to what percent do you want this problem resolved? And I would say 100%. I would say 310 to 210%. Minimum. Right. Because that's what God wants. Right. Right. Not only that, you've involved that person. (laughs) Right, right. Right. So that's the 
Right. Right. Um, I, so many things going through my head all at the same time. <laughs> so. Right. Right. Comes to eliminate. Right. 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 Together, right. And so, you know, when you when you say um, you ask the question, are you do you want one hundred percent victory, one hundred percent deliverance? I, I had a similar question in mind that I wanted to ask the guys, but this just I'm just going to ask this, but just answer this in your own mind. Uh, even the women can answer this as well. If your spouse were to come to you and say, and this, I hope this doesn't happen, but if they were to come to you and say, I want to follow Jesus Christ as closely as possible, but you keep bugging me, and I want to love you in the way that you want me to, and you keep, you know, you're on me about this. You can choose one or the other. If you step back and say, well, if my spouse walks closer with the Lord, that might mean that the rest of our lives we're going to be celibate. Am I, can I be content with that? Is it more important for my spouse to walk as close to the Lord as possible than it is for me to have a marriage like I think I should have? I think I, I can look at myself and say, man, it's hard for me not to be selfish. <laughs> It would be difficult for me to be selfish. But then when you start thinking about the reward that's in heaven for just obeying what God says. If I want my wife to walk closer with the Lord and she says, I will do that. The reality is if she does follow through with that, things are going to change in my relationship with her. If I continue to do the same. And that's just the simple truth. And it may take a while. It may take 10 years, 20 years, whatever. But the reality is, is there's so many times I think that, that we have these expectations of marriage in the first five years, that it's going to be that way for the rest of our lives. And when it becomes work, wait, what do you mean? You, you mean you want to talk to me? The game's on. <laughs> Thank God for that little pause button. I can pause it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> wives everywhere love that right <laughs> no they got to use it um but uh, there are so i think there are so much of the world that has infiltrated us that have that that gives us this idea that that well marriage should be like this and i ha i can put expectations on her or she can put expectations on me and what do we do we let each other down we do, it's just a reality. But again, I go back to, it's time, you know. What does my wife want from me? My wife tells me, it's quality time. I want, I want your attention. And there are days we sit in the living room, and we're just sitting there, and we're not talking to each other, and I'm going, it's hard for me not to go, man, there's so many things I could be doing right now, <laughs> you know. 
And I hope that she's going, I'm glad he's home. I'm glad he's just sitting here in the chair, you know, um, because I've come to realize that when I have a lot of things to do and I want God's approval on the things that I, I feel like I need to get done, first of all, he shows me these are the things I want you to do. These are the things that are going to have lasting, eternal um, eternal results or eternal impacts. Do those first. Put those first. Then we'll organize all the rest if, if it needs to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, so when I... Yeah, so when I when I went out to be self-employed, when I when I decided to talk to Tracy about being self-employed, part of the reason why I wanted to do that was so that I could so that I could sit down with a, a customer and talk to them about the Lord if they want if they were willing to do that, and I didn't have a, a, a boss, an employer, telling me, you know, you really need to be more productive with your time. I wanted that freedom, and, and I think God has blessed that. Um, and so, you know, and that's one of the things that I ask for prayer about is to be efficient with my time at work. And, and, I, and I tell people now, one of the biggest obstacles for me is getting too busy. People come in and they have a disaster. They have something that they need fixed. Oh, man, I need it fixed right away. Well, you know what? Let me see if I can move some things around. I'll see if I can squeeze you in. And that's... Because I want to do that, I want to help as many people as possible, but there's also been times where I've, hear, I've felt in my spirit, don't do that. And I have to look at somebody and say, man, I'd really love to help you, but I just can't. And I won't be offended if you go down to ARS or wherever and, and get it fixed somewhere else. You know. Uh, but anyway, one of the, the passages um, that helps me with those types of temptations is right there in 1 Corinthians 6 as well. 18 through 20, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whatever, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That price was the execution of our Savior. Okay? Therefore, this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 18, 18 through 20. Therefore, honor God with your body. In other words, take good care of yourself. Live holy lives. And... Do the things that God tells you to do in the scripture. And so sexual immorality, um, there, are, there are people who will sit and argue about drinking or smoking or this or that. And so uh, profanities, things like that. I asked a guy one time, I said, well, you know, we're, we're approaching Thanksgiving. Are you going to pray when you sit down to the Thanksgiving table? Yeah. Are you going to use those words in your prayer when you're talking to God? Well, No. Why not? Well, because somebody at the table might throw something at me. <laughs> so, well, okay, so those words mean something, and people understand what they mean. So, you know, those kinds of things. Um, anyway, I have a whole list here. I'm not going to get through them, but I do want to look at uh, a couple of verses. First Peter chapter 2. 
Um, and these don't necessarily deal with directly with sexual immorality, but they do deal with um, a situation where you feel like you've been wronged um, and wh- how to handle that. So if we read uh, verses 19 through 21, for it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Um, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So one of the passages that was read last week in 1 John, I think it was in chapter 3, said that if you follow Christ, you'll live as Jesus lived. And so if you go back to uh, Luke chapter 4, we we talked about this uh, this week, and you look at the three temptations that, if you look at the three temptations that Jesus faced when he was at near the end of the 40 days in the wilderness, those three temptations encompass every temptation that any individual could ever deal with. And I think Jesus had to do that before his ministry began because it proved his complete humanity. And so how long can a... How long can a human go without food? Fourteen days without food, even if he's got water. Okay, so that's that's the point I'm making right there. So how did Jesus survive for forty days? He had water, but he didn't eat anything, and the reason why? What are the three things? That we that we war against. We we saw this, yeah. We saw this with Eve, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What's that? Yeah, okay. Right. Right, right. And, uh, and so Jesus, when he's in the wilderness and he's being, uh, being tempted, he's tempted in every way, just like Eve was. He's tempted in every way, just like we are. Um, the pride of life. Uh, I deserve this from others. That's, that's the way we live. I mean, we live that way all the time. And Satan even appealed to that. And it says in Luke 4, when it gets to the end of his 40 days before the t- Satan comes, it says, he was hungry. Why does it have to say that? To show that he's a human being. That's right. To prove that he is an individual. The same reason why he had to take food after he rose from the dead. 
to show the disciples, I am Jesus and I did raise from the dead. I am a man and I'm alive and I'm God. I'm, I'm the son of God. And so, anyway, when you see those temptations, Jesus displayed that every temptation, God provides a way out. Jesus had to obey in every area to be uh, the, the advocate. Yes, go ahead. Yep. Right. And that was Hebrews what? That's the last few verses in Hebrews 2. Okay. So literally, not only can he help us, but he can pull us down. Right. Right. And so without victory over temptation and victory over sin, I mentioned last week uh, a passage, is Hebrews 13.4. This is the one I was looking for and I couldn't find, if you remember that. Uh, Hebrews 13.4. No, that's not it. I'm sorry. Uh, 12, Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Right. 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 And so when you read through Ephesians 5 and and you and you put together the pieces of marriage and put together the pieces of the church following and submitting to Christ. I go back to what I said earlier, does my wife see me submitting to the Lord like I want her to submit to me? If the reality is no, how can I expect her to submit to someone who's as wishy-washy as I am? If I don't submit to the Lord, if she doesn't see me purifying myself with the Word, like we heard last Sunday, after, uh, Sunday morning during the message, if I'm not purifying myself with the Word of God, and some of you may be thinking, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. Yes, it does, because Titus 2 is still in the Bible. There's still somebody that can learn from your experiences. Um, you know, even if you're not married, if you're, you know, thinking about getting married, if you're thinking, I don't, I don't know that I want to get married, I don't know, whatever, there's always the opportunity for teaching somebody else based on the things that you know about God's Word and your own life experiences as well. Um, what's that? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it comes to the point where, like, when, when my boss leaves to go sell tea, it's me and the secretary in the office, I go out in the shed. Yeah. And, I, and you know, it's just <clears throat> degrees out there in the wintertime. Right. So I'm out there either in the pickup or just moving around, but I won't go back to the office. Right. Unless, well, unless she calls me and tells me I had a phone call and I had to go to the customer right then in the office. But, I mean, so my wife will have me on my day roll, and I don't come home and say, well, I've been in. Been in 20 degree freezing cold because <laughs> I'm trying to be pure for you. It was, it was, you know, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that 
be noble or have the edible in their back. I just want the relationship with him so I can have the relationship with her. Right. But I also don't want her sometimes, it's, it's a struggle for me when I come home, she says, or it becomes a struggle sometimes, she says, you're not, you're not giving me what I, or you're not giving me what I want, I'm struggling here, or how are you satisfying me? When you're saying that to her, or she's saying no, it to she you? Says the same thing. Okay. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, I, and sometimes I do want her to see me outside in the freezing cold. I mean, it's selfish of me, but I want her to know that I'm outside in that freezing cold. So if she sees that, if she sees the respect I want to give her, I, I know that sounds really rude and selfish of me, but okay, you said it. And so. I, no, and I, and that's that's our natural, fleshly human instinct. I want people to know that I'm doing good. Okay, that's that's that comes naturally inside of every one of us. I want people to see that what I'm doing. What's that? Right, he is making a sacrifice. But the question is, is it more important to get the approval of the person that you want to please? than it is to get his approval. So, and, and, the, and the whole context of the New Testament scripture is, if you live for me, I'll take care of the rest of it. If you come to me and if you go to God and say, Lord, I want to live for you, would you please take care of this so that I can feel better? It's natural for us to bring our shopping list to God and say, Will you do this for me? The passage I just read in, in, in Peter says if you're suffering uh, and, you're, and you've not done anything wrong, it doesn't matter who else sees it as long as I see it and I'll reward you for it when you get here. Yes. Right. If you don't communication. Yes. Communication. Yes. Right. So communication. Yes. The question isn't what was said. The question is the motive. Why did? Why is he? Why is he saying I want my wife to see? I want my wife to see me doing good. And when we read Ephesians five. Ephesians 5 says, wash your wife with the water of the word. Make sacrifices for her without expecting anything in return, just like Jesus did when he laid down his life. And Satan is standing there whispering in his ear, you know 90% of the people that you're dying for are going to reject you. And he says, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die for everyone. Paul writes in Ephesians... So, no, I mean, it's so the, the picture in Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, look at Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus and love your wife that way, no matter if she loves you back or not. That's why it's not instructed. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to God. Husbands, love your wives.
Right. 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 When they obey his commands. Purifies you. Right. Right. He gives you that instruction. No, I, I can answer the simple answer. Because I've already failed in that area. Simple answer. I've already failed in that answer and sh- in that area, and she knows it, and she wants to know if I'm still failing. So she's really not asking because she knows you're going to give her the right answer. She's asking if you're going to actually look when she says something. Do you think she's cute? Who? <laughs> oh, oh, that one? Eh, no, not really. She. So you've heard it said when, when uh, a husband and wife are getting married, you know, and the, and the bride comes down the aisle, half the people, they turn and they look at the husband. Why? They want to see the expression on that man's face. You've never heard that before? Oh, wow. Yeah, there's always a, a group of people that when she walks in the door and everybody goes, oh, they look at the husband. Did he, did he gasp like I did? Did he really? Yeah. I, or is he standing up there going, oh, man. This is going to be rough. You know, is he, is he worried? You know, that kind of thing. Is he worried about what's... Yeah, they want to see the look on a man's face because they want to see his face light up with, with just love and joy and, and happiness. So anyway, I'm kind of okay, rambling on. His question is, does she know that? She should not even worry about that because she should go, my husband, I trust him enough to understand how much he loves me and I never want to worry Right, so has she always been... Has she always been able to have that trust in you? Since if she married you, yes, she better have. Okay, so yeah. since okay. <laughs> so si- what's your? Okay, go ahead. Okay, do you trust your husband when you marry him? <laughs> okay, do you trust him with everything? Yeah. Okay, then why marry him right away? You got no. Right. Right. Let's see. We've been married thirty years, so thirty-two years. So. Right. Right. Yeah. No. no. Okay. So, so you not, guys can definitely trust that. Right. 